so often I've heard people say, one person can take a drink and not become an alcoholic, or someone else can do some cocaine and not become addicted. And why is that? Hi, this is Ned Wicker, and you're listening to Recovery Now. This week we're going to be talking about what causes alcoholism and what causes drug addiction in very general terms using some examples and and but this is designed to maybe help you get your hands around the topic and and get a better understanding of it alongside is the Reverend Dr. Dan Geating from Waukesha Memorial Hospital Dan thank you and Debbie Wicker who has been monitoring the internet Lots of questions on the Internet on this topic. Why this? Why that? And Debbie will bring some of those out. But I guess I I, I want to get down to to cases, Dan. Someone takes a, a drink for the very first time, and they experience the click. And all of a sudden, down that path they go, whereas with someone else, it doesn't happen at all, and that's just a very strange human phenomenon. It is, and we have to look at uh, risk factors as to why one person may become addicted where the other person, even though they abused, used, abused, did not become addicted. They say that the addiction sets in, and you know, you read all the medical stuff, and I'm not a medical person, Dan, and I get confused, but you read all the stuff, and it's talking about the alteration of brain chemistry. It has nothing particularly to do with why you uh, used the drug or why you took the drink, but it has everything to do with how it affects you personally, and everybody's an individual, and it's really odd that it would happen to one and not to another. Yes, it is. I think also when we think about it as a, a result of the drinking, it is the chemical mixing with the individual's chemistry. And like you said, all those medical aspects, that's why it's a perfect disease. It affects a person physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and given enough time can ultimately take the life of the person. It's a process that is really uh, interesting because in some people it might take a few weeks, others a few months or even years, but as a person uses alcohol or drugs, whatever, whatever that is, or in combination, the brain chemistry is altered. And somehow the brain is fooled into thinking in order for me to function normally or properly, I have to have this substance. So it's, it's almost like it's a dirty trick is, is the side effect of the drug or alcohol. But, but aren't some drugs more addictive than others for everyone? Let me give you an example. I was, uh, there was a drug, a major drug bust in, in our suburb in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. And the woman, whose unfortunately son had overdosed, said, well, he was just a recreational user of heroin. And it struck with me because I'm thinking, is there such a thing as recreationally using heroin? 
there's no such thing as recreational use of heroin. Heroin is an end game, according. Uh, there were the police uh, that were investigating that case. This is serious business. Uh, what was really sad about this, and and of the 27 people, most of them were from Waukesha County, which is just west of Milwaukee, for those of you listening in other parts of the country. And it's an upscale lake country, fancy boutiques and restaurants, and the right kind of people live there, and certainly our children would not engage in this activity. And, and, and the, the parent that you were, were talking about, uh, their 20-year-old son, who had never used, according to them, that way he might have uh, drank beer or something, or maybe smoked a little pot, but certainly he didn't do this. Well, the fact is, is that people do do it. And the heroin comes in in, in Wisconsin uh, in the drug bust here most recently, and there was another one in Ozaukee County, which is just north of the city of Milwaukee. And all of those drugs had come from the city of Chicago, and and there is a drug rings everywhere. But anyway, of all the people, most of them were from Waukesha, some from Milwaukee. And high school kids were using heroin at Pewaukee High School, and it's a shocking thing. But they were bypassing a lot of the traditional avenues to addiction. Drug addicts don't just start out mainlining heroin. They, it, it, it progresses. They start out by having beer parties or whatever. They smoke pot. Maybe they, uh, in the past they had progressed to cocaine, and then on to heroin, which is sort of the end of the line. Once you do the heroin, uh, it, it's uh, difficult uh, to go back or to undo that. But what these kids were doing is they were experiencing heroin very early on in that process, and heroin is highly addictive. And the, the street heroin that we've experienced around here in the Milwaukee area is very pure. And it, it, it isn't necessarily mainline, but it's snorted. But it's very, very dangerous because just like alcohol to one person, that first snort of heroin can be deadly. To another person, well, maybe they use several times. And uh, although they're addicted, it isn't immediately deadly. But eventually, as the police say, it's an end game. It is eventually going to be deadly. I think also the intent of the user and most everybody that would uh, use would say their intent was never to become addicted. Their intent was maybe for pleasure, to be part of the group. What were the underlying ulterior motives, especially when you're thinking of uh, youth, high school, and many do not maybe even know the the deadly consequences of using so immediately and so strong and also the tolerance some people might be able to drink one glass of alcohol and nothing affect them and another person that has developed no tolerance to any type of mood altering chemo can really be affected by the one drink and actions behaviors and that so i think that it's is the surprise attack that comes after the feeling or 
in the midst of it, you a person can realize that uh, this has really got me. There's a hole in their lives. And one of the fathers was talking about maybe the kids don't think they have any hope. Maybe they don't think they have a future. Maybe they are turning to this to numb the pain of life as opposed, you were talking about the recreational use, and that's, you know, that's, that's partying. Let's have a few beers, we're partying. But heroin is serious business. It's, it starts out with an appreciation for that intense high, but it quickly atrophies into something much more sinister as the brain chemical alters. Now, another thing that's, that's happening in making this this massive jump from having a few beers to being addicted to heroin is they get their hands on oxycodone or uh, on the street just called oxycotton. But oxycodone is a highly addictive painkiller and uh, used effectively for pain management following surgeries and whatnot under a doctor's care in prescribed amounts at prescribed times and for a prescribed period. But they take the oxycodone, they take an ounce of that, they grind it up and snort that, and it's a very intense high, and some of the users have said it's a more intense high than the heroin. Now the problem is the oxycodone is going to cost about $40 for one dose or for an ounce, whereas the heroin sold on the street sells for for $10 to $20 a dose. So the heroin is a cheaper alternative to the ground-up oxycodone, and it becomes very, very dangerous. Well, and the scary part of it is my background is more of business, and this was like a network marketing scheme. So what they did is they took the oxycotton or however you, oxycotton, and they made it available to high school students because it's easy. It's just in a pill form. But they premeditatedly were planning on transitioning to heroin. So it's almost like a marketing method that says, hey, let's target high school students, and then let's transition them from oxycotton to heroin and get them addicted to heroin because then they will need us from a financial standpoint. And understand too, this is, this oxycodone thing is a is a, a phenomenon in the last ten years. Now, parents have always had to deal with beer parties at high school graduations. Parents have known for generations that the marijuana is around, and the kids are bound to try it. But that process was a slow progressing thing, and some of the some of the kids, or most of them would try it and say, okay, been there, done that, and they leave it alone. But for that one kid who gets on the marijuana and, and, and uses it over a prolonged period of time, and, and it takes more and more and more to achieve the same high. But now you get to the oxycodone, and you're there right away. I think also along with that, is that the person that wanted to use to be a part, to feel that high, it was to be a part of their life. But in addiction, it becomes their life. And that, I think, is 
one of those uh, root calls, causes and some of those symptoms that uh, we look at. I know that as uh, dealing with adolescents in treatment and the different ones that uh, I would run across, some of the ones that would stick out to me would be the individual that had that uh, psychological makeup and wanted an extra feel-good or an enabler. And that's what it helped them to do, helped them to become almost living out a dream for them, that they could be much more social, they could be more aggressive. They they were able to fulfill what in themselves they felt they could not do. And I think that that had been a way of getting uh, started. And that social element to fit in is so important. One of the parents said, of his dead child I didn't see this coming and what you know what are some of the things Dan that parents can look for and every parent in America today is aware that the drugs are there the parents are aware that they're on the street corners and in the schools and what are some of the things that you can look for in a kid to say, I, I, I don't want this to come as a surprise. I want to know what's going on now. I think there are subtle changes that sometimes uh, parents might not notice, but I do think all of them come around to the cycle of positive to negative. And was your child or is your child more involved in the family or less? Are they isolative? Look at those little things how do they hang around with their friends what is the uh things that they're called to but i think that there are those symptoms of uh negativity the signs their interest in sports their interest in the arts their interest in those things that develop themselves but takes less energy and takes energy to be good at but you see a loss of interest lethargic very negative and uh, oppositional behaviors i think can start uh, taking over and also their grades and those type of things are some indicators i think that something is not right what is it it might be, it might not be addiction, but it's something to be a red flag. That's almost a double whammy because in the teenage years, we all know what it what it is to be a teenager. We've gone through that process, and, and uh, I remember I was against everything when I was a teenager, and my behavior was at times abhorrent, but uh, it had nothing to do with drugs. So uh, it's got to be difficult for parents really to kind of tune in to to know when drugs are involved and when they're not involved. But I think if you think about it, Ned, you didn't withdraw us from sports. You were on the high school baseball team or whatever teams, whereas the people I've known that have been addicted did withdraw exactly as you're saying, Dan. They don't participate. They used to love to play basketball, and now all of a sudden they're not playing anymore. And, and the kids they're hanging around with are very different than the kids they used to hang around with. And I think your, your point is very well taken. It's like a negative. Where they used to be positive, they are now negative. Where, th- where they used to be looking forward to their life, they seem down and, and just, just very, very unhappy and lethargic. 
I think that's certainly true. And I think that uh, the addiction process helps a person to motivate downstream. <laughs> it takes them downstream in all areas of their living and even in their self-image, how they dress, how they care for themselves, how they care, how they present themselves. And then I think also a red flag that a parent needs to be aware of is in their own lives. Has there been any addiction in the family? Not only could these be circumstantial things that can cause that, but also the propense, propensity to addiction within their family system. And I think that those would be highlights to really look at. I took a course once in which it was required for us to produce a family genogram. And you can, in doing that, especially if, if your family has a history of alcohol or drug abuse, you can trace that through, from generation to generation to generation. And a lot of the folks that I uh, come into contact with talk about a genetic predisposition to abusing alcohol or abusing drugs. It's just something that's in their family makeup the same way that heart disease would be in the family makeup or perhaps diabetes. And also, everywhere in our culture, we are bombarded, even though we know the just-say-no policies don't work, everybody seems to be in the know about drugs, addiction, alcohol, but it's never going to happen to me, and it's not going to be in my family. And then, you know, we have a very good friend who we just found out his daughter is a heroin addict. And again, I don't think most people expect their children to become heroin addicts. But if we look at our very good friend, um, they he drank every night. Uh, I would categorize him as a heavy drinker you know, certainly bordering on alcoholism. He was generally drunk the next day. People knew him as a constant drinker, but yet he comes back and says, I can't believe my daughter is a heroin addict. I'm surprised. But if we look at the patterns of what she actually saw, not what she heard, not what they said, but what they did, I think it was all there. We are body, mind, and spirit, and Dan, you mentioned this earlier. There's a spiritual aspect to this, and, and, and here in, in in Waukesha County, we're on the heels of all of these arrests. We're on the heels of these five fatal overdoses. There were 11 others, and thankfully, uh, the medical community intervened and saved a lot of kids. Uh, we have the history of this going on all over the place. But it's strange that we don't seem to learn from our mistakes or from the mistakes of others. You, you, you talked about it won't happen to me. Uh, I, I think the spiritual component to this is very much that we've, we've, we've turned away from our Creator. We've turned away from God. We are looking for social answers to spiritual problems. We are looking for law enforcement intervention, and God bless them. Law enforcement does a wonderful job. The medical community does what it can do to intervene and to treat and to try to help folks. 
But there seems to be this big void, this big spiritual void as we move on. It's it's no longer the, you know, uh, beer parties, marijuana, and then progressing up the ladder. It's sort of like going from A to Z because people are searching for something. They're not finding it. There's an emptiness in their life, and they're looking in the wrong place. I think that you've hit on a real strong point as we look at the helps everything is coming from the external and true recovery does touch the soul the person on the inside and it has been stated that maybe the first thing that ever starts to slip in an addiction is one's spiritual life and their spiritual values and sometimes that loss of hope. And as you see that as the progression, again, physically happens, you can see it in a person's spiritual life. And what is real interesting in recovery, when I'm doing a spiritual assessment with recovering people, we looked at the causes, but then also tried to point out they're positive, and the first positive many times to a recovering person is the spiritual aspect of their life reaching out and grasping for hope. And that's a very spiritual quality that ignites the journey of hope. And there is recovery. There is recovery. I, I, I draw back to the to 12-step process. And it's it, it's twofold. It, it, it's one. It's really becoming aware of who we are, but on the other hand, because there's that huge void in our life, because there's that big spiritual hole in our heart, we also become aware of the one who made us. And having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we took our message to addicts. Uh, it is it is one generation or one group learning from another. It's passing out the information that you just can't do this, and so I I I see the answer not so much in in all of the taxpayer dollars, but I see the answers coming out of churches and synagogues. It's it, that's a tough a task, however, because here in Waukesha County as in many counties across the United States, uh, 79%, according to my pastor, 79% of people don't attend church or synagogue. And I think out of that, we do look at the fact that Alcoholics Anonymous, your 12-step program, emerged out of a faith-based foundation, but knew they needed to reach out to people that might not enter into the religious structures mm -hmm. and therefore developed Alcoholics Anonymous out of that, all these other 12-step programs that really deal with body, mind, spirit. And what I found so interesting about 12 steps, it deals with not only spiritual principles but actions how you bridge from a principle and a belief and have it integrated into how we relate to ourselves, others, God, and replacing the addiction as the center of life 
back into the wholeness of who we were created by our Creator to become. The spiritual awareness, Dan, also, if, you can, if, we, if we can get this started before they take the first beer or before, you know, early in the process, how do you kill a snake? They cut off its head. It, it, it's one thing to, to go after drug dealers. Law enforcement goes after drug dealers. But drug dealers aren't around if there's, a, if there's no market for the drugs. They can try to create a market. They can do some advertising and some promotion. But if there's nobody wanting to use, the drug dealer isn't going to be around. And I think that in the way we look at our lives, in the way we look at how we bring up our children, in the way we look at how they relate to the community, that's the issue. So I guess I think what you're saying is that spiritual void is one of the major causes of addiction. I mean, if we look at that people are vulnerable, like let's say I decided I want to choose which high school students I'm going to go after, a spiritual void would be a good start. I mean, someone that's heavily involved in a church or a synagogue or a mosque or is spiritually connected is probably a tougher sell. Well, I would not put it that way, per se, due to the fact that you're, we're talking about a spiritual entity and not a religious entity. So there can be just as much addiction within the religious community, which is masked and hidden because it's not supposed to be there, because what we're talking about is that inner person that spiritual quality of finding wholeness and healing and it's not so much in the structures but it is in the component of what we sometimes think are always operative in those structures and that is comes back to the individual but also the weeness of recovering that's why i think the 12 step groups really hit it that uh we admit to ourselves that we are powerless over alcohol too, and we admit it's a weeness of recovery. We admit it to ourselves, to others, and to ourselves that we are powerless, unmanageable. And I think it's a weeness of recovery that meets that inner inner being. The weeness of recovery. The you are not alone if you are in the throes of addiction or if you are suffering from the disease of alcoholism, you are not alone. There are resources out there for you. Um, we, want to, we want to hear from you. We, we would like you to contact us. Uh, on our two websites, there are forms in, that you can use to get a hold of us. The one website is drug-addiction-support.org. And the other website, of course, being alcoholism-support.org. There is a form to contact us if you have a question or if there are topics you would like discussed on this program. Go ahead and fill those out. Uh, we appreciate very much that you that you joined us, and we and we hope that this has been helpful. Dan, thank you very very much. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. And I enjoyed being with you. The next time, we're, we're going to be talking about the cycle of addiction. We're, we've talked about causes today, but next time we're going to be talking about the cycle of addiction and try to flesh that out. In the meantime, again, you are not alone. There is hope. God bless.